All right, well, um, today we'll be continuing in our study of the book of Isaiah, and if you want to go ahead and be opening your Bible, um, we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 3 this morning together. Um, And as you're turning there, um, let me just kind of recap um, uh, where we are in the book and what we talked about last week. So uh, chapter 3 is in the middle of a section of, of prophecy in Isaiah that we started last week in chapter 2. It started in chapter 2 and it runs through chapter 4 and it's bracketed by these um, beautiful pictures of the latter days when uh, God's blessings fall upon Jerusalem and all the nations uh, come to the mountain of the Lord uh, to learn from him in in peace. Um, And sandwiched in between, or the, the, the meat of our sandwich, is a description of uh, the day of the Lord, which is a day of judgment. There's this contrast between uh, Isaiah's visions of what the world uh, is supposed to be, what God calls his people to be, and the way they are now. Uh, he envisioned the exaltation of the mountain of the Lord to whom all the nations and peoples would flow to learn the ways of the Lord in peace. Instead, as we saw last week, Judah was learning from the nations. Uh, as they multiplied material wealth, stockpiled weapons of war, filled the land with idols, and exalted themselves. Um, Isaiah declared last week that on the day of God's judgment, he would oppose, uh, and this is verse um, uh, 11 of chapter 2, he would oppose all that is proud and lofty. He would be against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So uh, last week we talked about how Isaiah exposed the folly of trusting in idols, uh, worthless non-entities, he called them, made by men who themselves are but a breath. So as we turn to chapter 3 today, we're continuing that contrast um, between the haughty and the humble. And chapter 3 is focusing on uh, exposing the chaos that results from God's judgment. Um, and shows the foolishness and vanity of depending upon human leadership and human glory. Um, The last verse of of chapter 2 really gets expounded here in chapter 3 when when Isaiah commands, Stop regarding man and whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? And he's going to, in chapter 3, Uh, further expand upon that. So um, I'll read chapter 3 and then pray and then we'll dig into it. So uh, the word of God as we find it in Isaiah chapter 3. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. 
In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of rich, a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth and branding, instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground, and seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Thus far, God's word. Let's uh, go before him in prayer and ask him to increase its hearing uh, in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do praise you and give you glory. We thank you for your sovereign rule over all the earth, all the heavens and the earth are in your power you hold them in your sway. And Lord God, uh, we know that you raise leaders up and you bring leaders down. And that you uh, give us so often the leaders that uh, we deserve. Uh, leaders who uh, turn our hearts away from you because we ourselves are hardened 
to your law and your instruction, that we exalt ourselves, that we uh, spend our time and our energy increasing our own comforts and our own materials at the expense of others. As we see in the prophet uh, this day, we contribute to the chaos that sin brings in the world. But Lord God, we also know the mercy that your sovereignty and your sovereign power, you have not only brought judgment, but you have brought uh, repentance and peace. And you have put the judgment that we deserve on your son, Jesus Christ, so that we do not come, as we look at these words of judgment, despondent, but we come hopeful. Uh, we come repentant. We come joyful, knowing the power of our God and that you rule all things well and for your glory. Give us a glimpse of that today. Um, show us uh, those sinful places of our lives. Uh, give us humble hearts that we would not rebel, but that we would heed your instruction to us. We ask it uh, by the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so chapter 3 uh, starts continuing this idea that, um, uh, from the idea of chapter 2. And we see that with just that first little phrase at the beginning there, for behold, that for connecting to, to what he has gone or argued before here. So as we think about this, um, and we start off in this chapter, what does Isaiah mean when he states that the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply? So we think of this as sort of giving a more detailed picture of the day of the Lord. What does that day look like? So what does it mean to take away Judah and Jerusalem's support and supply? What kind of picture of the day of judgment is Isaiah giving us here? Yeah, as we think about, you know, one of the supports is, uh, is government, you know, and having uh, wise rulers, having uh, a stable government in place, and to sort of think, you know, again, how much of our current peace and prosperity is a result of, you know, have, being in a stable governmental situation, you know, that, you know, even though we've got parties and parties change, for the most part, you know, a change of party doesn't radically up, you know, cause upheaval in our lives. But what happens if every kind of leadership in our life is removed? You know, to just sort of think, basic support. Um, I, I liked, uh, I, I meant to copy it down and I forgot. But it's Luther explains um, what is meant by daily bread. And his list of, you know, I usually take daily bread to be, you know, pretty basic daily bread. But he had, you know, daily bread are things like, you know, having a home to sleep in, uh, you know, having food, you know, having, uh, you know, the kind of daily supports of life. 
including government. You know, so when, you know, he's saying, when we say, pray, give us our daily bread, you know, it, it means more than just sort of our daily sustenance. It means give us uh, good governments that's going to continue to support our means of life. Uh, Andy, you had your hand up. Yeah, as we think about, um, there's a lot of irony <laughs> in this chapter. And as we work through, you know, this kind of removing the supports, it's like, you know, last week I gave the, the analogy, you know, leaning on man's like leaning on air, and he's going to let them lean on air. Um, yeah, it's the irony of this judgment. Yeah, Andre. Yeah, it's anarchy, it's lawlessness. Um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, um, I wasn't thinking real events, I was thinking sci-fi, but <laughs> that's me. Um, or I could get Anne Reese in here. Anne Reese really likes dystopian stories, so these kind of, not utopias, but, you know, what happens when everything falls apart and all the kind of systems of authority we have in place, and it's this lawlessness, it's this anarchy, it's this every person looking out uh, for himself or herself. Um, yeah, uh, you know, just sort of think, you know, um, what happens when, when, as Andy said, you know, God sort of pulls the things they've been relying on, okay? You're trusting in your leaders. Uh, we're going to take those away. And then what, what, what's the result? Yeah, Rob. Uh, on the other side, it shows God's love to Yeah, to, again, to, to go back to, again, it's um, the, uh, which is why I keep saying, put this in the context of, of chapters two and four, or the beginning of two and four, because we have, there's where we see the great depiction of God's love in that day. Um, so it's both a day of judgment, but, you know, it's also a day of blessing. And as we kind of hit the, the middle of this kind of curve, <laughs> we're, this chapter is heavy on the judgment. But, yeah, it's the, the love that's being demonstrated um, through judgment. Um, and the call that um, Mark uh, brought us back in verse 5 last week, you know, this emphatic call uh, of Isaiah walk in the light of the Lord, <laughs> you know, follow his commands, um, because this is what's, this is what, the way you're walking now, and this is what it leads to. Good. What else would you say about um, removing every support, uh, every supply? Anything else we want to say about that aspect? Yeah, Mark.
Yeah, and the emphasis is really um, in this, you know, the first part of, of chapter 3 is really on the sovereignty of God. You know, this, the, you know we, um, we don't always pay attention to the titles of God, but the Lord God of hosts is usually used, you know, to emphasize God's sovereignty, that he is the commander of hosts, that he is the one who rules and governs. And notice how that phrase kind of brackets this first section. It's, it's both in verse 1, for behold, the Lord God of hosts, and then at the kind of end of this first part of the chapter in verse 15, declares the Lord God of hosts. So it's this, um, you know, the sovereignty of God is being emphasized here. And when the people aren't acknowledging it, when they're trusting in their human leaders and they're looking for earthly gain, what happens when he starts removing, you know, the support of, of bread the support of water, the things that we take for granted. Yeah, uh, the things they need for day to daily life, and to really kind of um, you know, you really hits the the leadership. I mean, this is a crisis uh, of of leaders and. You know, it's, uh, it's taking away military leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, skilled craftsmen, um, you know, every kind of level of, 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 of leadership is being pulled away. Um, these are the people you've been trusting in, these men who are but a breath. And what happens when those are gone? Yeah, to sort of think of, um, yeah, again, to the, the wake-up call aspect of this. Again, this is, uh, you know, Isaiah's broadside. <laughs> you know, it's his wake-up call to the people. Um, it, this is the way you're, you're, you're haughty, you're lifted up, you're filled with idols, you're oppressing the poor, and this is what's going to result um, from it. Yeah, Kirk. Yeah. Myself, not terribly different from a child. Um, and as it's being moved away, it's caused me to think as this last weekend I was at a Huntsville event and witnessed a parent with their very, very young child. Let them, one, 
sense of causing that, that look back, that, oh, where, where is my sovereign? Where is my, the source of my provision? Yeah, and, and notice how, um, I loved how you started off by saying sort of, you know, what happens, or, you know, there, the childishness, you know, so it's, it's both God's fatherly care for his children, but they're acting like children, <laughs> you know, uh, as we look at, you know, the rule here, um, in this collapse of leadership, he depicts um, Judah as being ruled, I will make, verse 4, I will make boys their princes, princes, and infants shall rule over them. So as we think of this, what does that mean? You know, um, uh, what does it look like? You know, is that a literal kind of like, you know, you know, a six-year-old is now the leader of Judah? Or is it they're acting like, <laughs> they're acting infantile? You know, as we sort of think of this, um, or, you know, infantile leaders. But what does it mean to be ruled by, you know, as we work through this image? What does it mean to be ruled by boys and infants? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, um, again, to sort of think of, you know, as we work through this, you're absolutely right that, you know, the contrast between something stable and something that's completely instable. Um, again, to sort of think of, of you know, um, children are, are ruled by their, their whims, uh, their passions, whatever they want at the moment. Um, you know, they have not yet developed the capacity for long-term planning. <laughs> um, it's all about, you know, again, to think of that, that crying infant, you know, the infant cries, you know, I want milk now. <laughs> I want sleep now. <laughs> um, that kind of, that instability. Yeah, and to think about, um, you know, one of the things I want us to sort of, you know, wrestle with this passage to think, you know, because there's one way we could look at it and say, well, he's being literal because the Assyrians really would come into a culture and they'd look around and say, who are the leaders in this place we just captured? All right, you folks are coming with us, <laughs> you know, because that would be a way of rendering countries that have been conquered powerless is to go in, find out who all the leaders are, you know, who's any person that could, could possibly foment rebellion. Okay, y'all are coming with us. And so it'll literally pull them away. So some people sort of, well, that's really what he's talking about. But this other way, I, I think it's, he's also talking about how, you know, even adult leaders act in infantile manners. You know, and verse 12, you know, he sort of talks about um, my people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. It's sort of like he's going to the now, you know, it's not just the future when the Assyrians come and take people away. 
part of the, that taking people away is because they're being ruled by infant-like people now. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, to sort of, again, to sort of think, um, you know, not wanting, um, yeah, again, uh, um, as Kirk said, you know, children often not wanting what's good for them um, or not knowing what's good for them. They have to be taught. They have to be led. So what happens when those who lead are taken away? Yeah, what happens? And again, the irony of the judgment. Um, it's, it's, uh, and I, I, the reason I think it's some of both, they both literally will be ruled by boys, but it's also because they have, you know, childish acting leaders now. Their childish acting leaders now <laughs> are going to cause them to be ruled by actual boys. You know, it's sort of like, again, the, there's so much irony in this chapter, the, and the irony... Uh, with which the judgment falls upon the people. I mean, it's, it's like that, the example of, you know, the final of the, um, of the curses upon the Egyptians comes out of the Pharaoh's own mouth. You know, it's, all right, you know, it's the way they're wishing it upon themselves. And he clearly lays that, that judgment upon, upon them. It, you know, you are are reaping what you, you yourself have sown. Uh, anything else you want to say about uh, leadership here? Um, let's see if there's anything. Notice that the list um, includes both, uh, um, you know, what we might call legitimate leaders um, with also illegitimate. So like verse uh, 3, the counselor and the skillful magician uh, and the expert in charms, so, you know, the skillful magician, those are, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, soothsayers and magicians who are supposed to be forbidden. So it's not only is God removing the legitimate supports from them, he's also removing the illegitimate things they're turning to as well. You know, again, every support and stay is being removed. Um, what do you think of, of verse... Uh, six. I love this picture. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, "You shall have a you have a cloak. You shall be our ruler, and this heap of ruin shall be under your rule." I mean, isn't that <laughs> you know? Um, and the uh, the word there just means like a common coat. So it's not you know you have a royal mantle. You know you should come rule over us. It's um, you know. Uh, Scott looks pretty, pretty nice today. <laughs> he looks like the, yeah, he, he's the best dressed in here. So <laughs> he should rule us. <laughs> and that, and notice that's exactly the response. You know, the response is no. <laughs> I don't have a coat. <laughs> There's nothing in my house. 
<laughs> you pick somebody else. So it's the idea that, you know, we're going to turn to anybody for, for leadership and nobody wants it. <laughs> you know, it's it, the, you know, it, the kingdom has become so repulsive. Nobody wants to be the one who steps up and says, uh, yeah, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, you had your hand up? No. Oh, okay. Uh, you had your hand up. Yeah, we choose by uh, the standards of the world rather than the standards that God's held before us. And as we look at this kind of crisis of leadership, um, you know, you're, uh, you're turning us to what the real cause is. You know, the real cause um, is, you know, well, let's look at the real cause rather than me just saying it. So um, he describes uh, in verse 8, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, and then he gives us, starts giving us reasons why. So if the removing the leadership, removing the supports of life is the punishment, now we're starting to get why they're being punished. So um, what's the cause for Judah to have fallen so far? What is the cause for Jerusalem stumbling? Yeah, it's, it's, it's spiritual rebellion. Um, their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying, defying his glorious presence. Um, you know, again, as we get to the uh, um, uh, Isaiah's call in chapter 6, you know, the, the natural response to be in the presence of God's glory is, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. But their response to be before God's glory is, you know, Andy was just shaking his fist here, you know, it's defiance. Um, good. What else would you say the cause is? Yeah. Yeah, notice how they're, they're championing it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's uh, rather than seeing their deeds as detestable, um, you know, they're proclaiming their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. You know, it's, they're glorying in it, you know, rather than seeing uh, the sinfulness in the midst, seeing the ways that they're defying the laws of God instead uh, they're patting themselves on the back for, you know, um, the evil they're displaying. Now you're raising your hand. <laughs> That's a hand raise. That's an ear scratch. Okay, I got it now.
Yeah, and Isaiah's pointing out, you know, it's the, this crisis is moral and spiritual at the root. You know, they have become, you know, practically atheist. <laughs> um, and it's not just a matter of policy, you know, you know, a, a, this is a good political position versus a bad political position, but he's going to the heart of the matter. Um, and the heart has utterly turned against God. Yeah. Yeah, rather than being the, the light to the nations, they're turning to the nations uh, for leadership and guidance and, you know, turning away from the Lord. And it's the, again, the, the weird way the, the punishment is fitting the crime. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a it's a crisis of, of leadership um, in this first part of chapter 3, and they're being punished with all leadership being pulled from them. But you're absolutely right. You know, to, you know, to think of the way these kings were acting, to see the leaders, and you know, Isaiah is going to give us, uh, over the course of the book, you know, sermon after sermon addressing, again, this, this failure at the top. Um, you know, we talked about just a little on the first week how, you know, many people have, have placed Isaiah really near the throne of Judah. You know, he, he could be a relative. He's definitely kind of a prophet that has the royal ear. And he's using that to say <laughs> how utterly corrupt and devoid of leadership um, Israel is. Uh, other reasons or other causes? What other sins? So, um, you know, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defined as glorious presence, um, this, this kind of atheism uh, that Mike was pointing us to. Um, the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sins like Sodom. They do not hide it. Um, as Alicia was telling us to, they're kind of taking pride in their sinfulness. Yeah, and this glorying and godlessness um, has 
you know, the repercussions. And that's, you know, again, as we work through this, so you, you know, turning uh, one's face against God in this way has real re- repercussions. And we start seeing those both in the reception of future judgment, but also the increase of, of current oppression. Um, you know, uh, verse 12, My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your gods mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. You know, it's this, um, the idea is, you know, uh, they're er- erasing, you know, by re- erasing um, uh, God from this society, they're erasing the supports for, um, for righteousness. They're erasing the protections for the poor and the, uh, the most powerless in society. Yeah, this, again, it's, the, you know, one verse, <laughs> but it's, it's there. And you're, I'm glad you, you picked it out. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds, you know. Um, again, so think of all those New Testament passages, you know, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Um, God has, is, is laying up rewards for you. And, you know, even in the midst of this gloom, and it's looking pretty gloomy, um, you know, it's looking pretty bleak, uh, um, you know, looking at the, the leadership structure, even amidst that gloom, you know, this, this, but I will be with the righteous. Um, I, you know, even in the midst of, of the suffering and the punishment, I know who you are and I will be with you. The Lord is preserving his remnant. Um, all right, let me see if there's anything else I want to say on this. All right. Um, okay. Uh, so again, just sort of uh, to emphasize, you know, it's this uh, Isaiah throughout the book is going to give us this, you know, the impoverished leadership, especially in the first parts of the book. Um, we'll see it again in chapter seven, fourteen, twenty-two, twenty-eight, thirty-two. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a, a recurring theme. But he's setting us up. Um, so, and again, while we're on verse 10, he's, he's setting us up for what a real leader looks like. You know, he's setting us up for um, this Messiah who will rule in justice and righteousness, who will not um, uh, uh, oppress the poor. Um, and notice how, like, total this despolation looks like. It is you who devoured the vineyard. Um, you know, absolutely reduced it to nothing. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. So it's not only are they depriving the poor of the gleanings of the fields, but whatever possessions the poor have, they're taking from them. Um, what do you mean by crushing my people? Yeah, that word crush there, you know, to sort of think ahead, you know, how Isaiah is going to use that word later 
of the leader who will be crushed for our iniquities. So rather than the one in power doing the crushing, you know, he's setting us up for this picture, the one in power being crushed for the sake of his people. Um, it's this, what the real Messiah will look like. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be leadership on the world's terms, multiplying wealth, multiplying weapons of war, um, you know, multiplying power in worldly terms to himself, but it's going to be this servant leader. All right, anything else you want to say on verses 1 through 15? Because I want to spend at least our last bit of time talking about the second half of the chapter. Yeah, James. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, again, to sort of think of the difference between Lewis's age and ours, I think we're into to much more where there's sort of failure to agree on what the, you know, is stealing right or wrong? Well, yeah. Yeah, we, we're, we're in this postmodern subjective age that, you know, um, well, that's good for you, that's good for you, and, you know, we're going to start seeing the ramifications of that. And again, it's, it's the descent into chaos. Um, you know, Matthew brought that word up last week, and it really is. Um, this Israel or Judah is, is descending into chaos, um, and at the root of that is this, you know, uh, the, is this rejection of, of the lawgiver. Yeah, none of this riding on the coattails <laughs> or, you know, keeping the, the legacy without the, uh, the uh, heart of the matter. What you guys were just talking about reminds me of a year ago or so, I was listening to a tape by John Gerstner, and he you know, did a thing in church history. And, you know, he was talking about some of the great church fathers and specific issues, but this was in the 70s or something. He was saying, you know, the church, kind of like if they were alive today, they They couldn't have imagined where we have descended to today. And I couldn't help thinking, if John Gerstner were alive today, <laughs> I'd see how far we 
Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rapid uh, kind of decline. It's a pretty rapid, again, descent into chaos. Um, all right, well, I want to spend um, at least, a, so he's got these two, you know, kind of two images he's dealing with in this chapter. So the first image was this, you know, uh, um, judgment on a leadership, uh, this leadership chaos that's created um, through the judgment on leadership. The second um, half of the chapter focuses on the daughters of Zion. Um, So how did these two, and some people have said, oh, these things are so different that clearly this is some unrelated matter that some stupid editor stuck in here and, you know, didn't notice the disconnect. Um, But I, you know, uh, it's, let's take it seriously the way it's given to us. So why is this description of the daughters of Zion starting in verse 16 and going through the first verse of chapter 4? How does that relate to the leadership crisis that we see in the first part? Or how does the first 15 verses uh, relate to this, um, this description in the second half? Yeah, Rob. Um. I think it's beyond that. Um, yeah, so he's not just referring to a particular type of woman. Um, he's referring to, um, yeah, uh, either the women of, of Jerusalem in general, or, again, we can sort of talk about, he might be using that figuratively as well, but I think it's broader than just sort of you've got temple prostitutes. Um, uh, I think he's going a little broader than that. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, and he, you know, again, to sort of think um, maybe the link verse on that kind of thing is my people, verse 12, my people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. You know, um, there's an Arabian proverb I wrote down that says, I fled to God from the rule of boys and the reign of women. You know, that's the way, you know, for that Arabian, the way the, the world order should be has, has been inverted. Um, but yeah, it's this inversion of the way that things should be. It also points back to verse six as well, the absence of of any man who's going to step forward and take on the mental leadership here to pick somebody who just looks like the most viable candidate available. Yeah, again, what a striking picture of, um, you know, you're absolutely right to sort of parallel six and in verse one of chapter four. You know, it's seven women are going to grab one guy, marry us. Uh, you don't have to provide for us. You know, you know, you don't have to do anything for us. Just give us the honor of, of a name. You know, give us the honor of attachment. It's this desperation, uh, just like we saw in verse 6, you know, you've got a coat, <laughs> you can rule, you know, this, a male, you know, <laughs> somebody who's left, Marius, John.
Yeah. Um, to, again, and to sort of think uh, in terms of, um, yeah, and to think of that, you know, um, the selfishness, you know, that, you know, that sex has become reduced all about self. Um, and that kind of what, what's for me, um, you know, I, I really think we're seeing that kind of picture in Isaiah, not so much through sex, but through, um, you know, physical things um, or using, you know, um, yeah, the kind of modesty that should be there is, is lost. So maybe that's sexual in terms. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah, and the, uh, again, it's further signs of the oppression. You know, again, you know, as we sort of think about you filled your houses with the spoils of the poor and, you know, again, how they're kind of flagrantly showing their sin. You're, they're wearing the spoil, you know, you know the, uh, all these descriptions. I mean, it's a really, uh, a lot of, it's a hard list to go through because so many of these words just show up once in the Bible. But, I mean, it, look how detailed the description is of, the adornments, um, uh, the the ways to um, yeah to to be haughty, <laughs> to be proud, to display one's vanity before the world. Yeah, be wealthy and, you know, consume things. Yeah, um, you know, uh, you're, you're absolutely right to sort of, to, to show, you know, that's what, you know, that's the standard <laughs> that we're, we're looking to.
Yeah, these basic supports. Um, and again, to sort of think of this chapter also as, an, um, as a further exposition of that, that loftiness, that pride, that vanity, that haughtiness we saw. So as we see the dissolution of, of government, uh, as we see the dissolution of, of, of families, it's all coming from this, again, um, you know, haughtiness of spirit. You know, it's a heart problem. Yeah. And, you know, again, uh, we're at our time, so I, I need to sort of start bringing us to close. But again, to emphasize the emptiness of these things is, you know, he shows, you know, how easily they can be taken away. You know, again, the irony of the punishment here and, um, you know, verses. Um, I sometimes I'm just enthralled by Isaiah as an author, but, you know, verses 24 uh, through 26, instead of perfume, there'll be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, you know, you can sort of imagine, you know, all the money and time spent and, you know, quaffing your hair a certain way. Baldness. Um, Instead of a rich robe, a sack of, a skirt of sackcloth. Instead of beauty branding, you know, to sort of think of, you know, uh, having one's face scarred in some way so that the symmetry, the beauty that you, um, you know, accentuate through makeup or something, you know, to bring out, you know, that there's going to be something that no amount of makeup or any kind of adornments can cover, uh, this branding. Um, you know, what a picture of how fleeting these things are, um, how empty they really are, how easily they can be taken away. And these are the things that they you know, are turning to for their supports. All right, well, let me close this in prayer. Almighty God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do um, thank you for speaking to us this day, that as we looked at this passage, um, uh, your community uh, the church, uh, your sons and daughters, didn't just talk about um, Judah's day and the sins in Isaiah's age, but that we were very conscious, that you made us very conscious of the sins of our own culture and our own world. Um, and as we think how then we should live, uh, help us be mindful um, that we live according to your standards and not fall into the temptation to adapt the standards of the world, that we look uh, to you and not fall into all these empty, worthless idols um, that we so often put our trust in. Um, We ask that you would continue to help us to live by grace because we confess that we have um, sinful hearts that can be led astray by um, our own quest for political power or our own quest for 
material comforts, um, our own quest uh, to be uh, left alone. Uh, but we thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us alone, but who does uh, pursue us and who will take the good work that you've started in us and bring it to your perfection. Uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. Amen.